chapter number 8, Matthew chapter number 8, I want to take a couple of verses and tie them together with a verse in Matthew 16. The title of the message this evening is Take Up the Cross. In Matthew 8, beginning with verse number 18. When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. A certain scribe came and said to him, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury the dead. Now before I read Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, I want to read those same verses I just read out of Luke 9 because it amplifies some of that a little bit. But verse 57 says, It came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said, Lord, I'll follow you whithersoever you go. And again, Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now in Matthew 16, verse twenty. Four and five. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose it, lose his life for my sake, he says, shall find it. Take up the cross. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, it is a privilege again to be able to break the bread of life. And now as we look into this, we need you to speak to all of our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I assume I am on by now. But notice Jesus has been doing wonderful miracles in the vicinity of all of these listeners. And some of them were excited about what was taking place. Now, statements very often are made when excited and people have a tendency to say just about anything when they are excited. Think about what people will say when they're in love, when they're applying for a job or pleading for their life. People that are dating one another, they'll say all kinds of things in order to make sure they get the boy or the girl, or the man or the woman they want. 
somebody's applying for a job, that employer during the application process may ask, are you willing to work overtime? Oh, yes. Would you be willing to work weekends sometimes? Absolutely. People make all kinds of statements when they think that job's going to be theirs. It's the same thing if you've ever noted what happens when people's lives are in jeopardy or a family member. An abductor comes in and grabs a kid, grabs a spouse. Somebody throws their hands up towards someone and has a gun next to them and said, look, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Now, we have to understand that it's hard to know if the statements we make are trustworthy. And we don't usually determine whether they're trustworthy until the excitement disappears. Then somebody challenges the statement. Jesus had been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's been healing the sick and miracles have been taking place. According to Matthew 4, verse 23, demons were being cast out. The afflicted were being made whole. When we look in chapter 8 and notice verse number 16, we can see where he had been at Peter's mother's house. And in the evening time, the afflicted were brought. Jesus, one by one, began to heal all of these different people. There was such a stirring in the crowd that within the crowd was one religious man whose duties included that of copying scrolls. Scripture says here he was a scribe and this scribe had come to the Lord Jesus. Well, of course, he quickly made a statement and the statement he made said, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, as a proofreader of ancient documents, as someone that wrote the Hebrew Old Testament again and again, he certainly was an expert in the Old Testament. He knew the Bible as well as any one of us that are in here today. But the thing is, he made the claim wherever you go. Now, people will say, and I reiterate, people will say all kinds of things when they're excited. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs and wonders. He was ready to leave what he was doing and spend his time with the Savior. This same pledge has been made by all kinds of people, some professional people. Some unprofessional people, but there have been bankers, there have been lawyers, there have been people that have swept floors and drove buses. There have been housewives and people that have been in a jam and recognized that their life was going in a wrong direction and they knew that they needed to move from confusion to some kind of status where they knew where they were going and they pledge and they say, while they're under conviction in a church service, oh God, I'll serve you. People talk about prison religion or jailhouse Christianity. People are isolated and separated from family members and cut off from the things that they they love. Very often you'll find that they'll begin to say, oh, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. It's been the story that we've seen over and over again. But note chapter 7, verse 29 in Matthew, it says, Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes' basic authority was that they cited the opinions of a previous rabbi. They would say, Rabbi so-and-so said, and he heard it from Rabbi so-and-so. But Jesus cited no other authority other than himself. He said, my doctrine comes from heaven. 
Jesus made it very plain that he and the Father were one. So Jesus was distinctive in that A, he taught with authority, B, he did miracles, and C, he was loved by the masses of people. Everybody loved him. No one could draw a crowd like Jesus during that day. And when Jesus heard what that scribe said to him, Master, I'll follow you wherever you go. He simply replied by speaking to him about animals and fowls of the air. He said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. See, these animals are restricted to certain territories instinctively. They go about as predators looking for prey, but in the end, they typically return to the same hole or nest during certain seasons, and they lay there and rest undisturbed. Jesus said, there's nowhere that I can go, and I can find that kind of peace. I mean, here's a man gets up and goes and prays at sunrise, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 35 and 36, and the crowds follow him there. Where could Jesus go to find peace? Everybody clamored after him. Everybody wanted to touch the hem of his garment. Everyone wanted to be touched by him. He said, do you even understand what you're saying? That you want to follow me wherever it is that I go? Are you so committed that that's what you want to do? Well, I I think we say many things that we don't understand. And Jesus, his conception of separation from communities and families is different than how we think of families. Well, this is certainly a family-oriented society, and there are a lot of people who don't like to move far from home. Think about Mark chapter 3, where Jesus had been teaching, and it says in verse 31 that some people approached the Lord and said, Don't you know that your mother and your brothers and sisters are out here and they want to talk to you? And Jesus simply kept on preaching, finally took a little break, and he said, Look, my mother and father are those that do the will of God. He went back to preaching. And let's not forget that we read out of chapter 9 where the gentleman said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And then the other one said, let me go first and say goodbye to the people that are in my home. And the Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. You go preach the gospel. Now, this is important. You say, why would Jesus say to people that you should just allow your father to be buried by some other people and you'd go and preach. It's because the Lord understood that the person who wants to go and bid the family and friends farewell, they have their priorities wrong. Listen to the reply again. Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. First. Lord, suffer me first. Permit me first to go and wave goodbye to my family. First, the priorities are wrong. They put in family before the will of God and the very command of God. And Jesus knows that if they say they're going to follow him, then the moment they begin to follow him, as soon as there are tears back at home or trouble back at home, they're going to turn and run right back to that house to see what's going on. Now think about it. How many missionaries do you think there are around the world that have been there for years and never made it home to certain family members' funerals and weddings? 
How many of you that are in here right now that weren't born and raised in this in this particular area didn't make it home for a cousin's marriage or funeral? You think about how many people came out here to homestead 130, 140 years ago. And when someone passed away back in the New England states, they couldn't go back home. Baby passed away out here, having come out here on a covered wagon. They buried that baby in the midst of this same soil where they plant corn, and milo, and swath hay. There are a whole lot of family members from around America that never were able to be here for those things. But yet the homesteaders stayed because they made a commitment that they would be here and they sought to produce for the succeeding generation something better than they had in the present generation. Think about what Christ then says. Let the dead bury the dead. Family can't be first all the time. I still recall the story of the lady in a church in Ohio, reared in church, was a Christian young lady, then fell away from God. The church began to pray for her, for her to be restored. Well, she finally got back in and She felt like God called her to go to Bible college and she wanted to go to India to be a missionary. This was 60 some odd years ago. Well, her mother wasn't pleased with that and said, look, we prayed a long time to get you saved. I don't want you over there where they don't even have washing machines and all of that kind of stuff. And you're cut off from me. She said, I'd rather see you dead than over there on the other side of the earth. A few months later, mama standing up in front of the church testifying and asking them to forgive her because of what she had said to her daughter. But the daughter's dead now and in the casket there. She's at the funeral. It's amazing how we'll raise people to sing songs like, Where You Lead, Lord, I'll Follow. And we sing all kinds of songs that deal with pledges and commitments to God. But the moment somebody begins to chase after God and to pursue them with a whole heart, then we go out of our way to make sure they don't move too far. We're trying to hold on to those heartstrings, see, try to manipulate them. But Jesus' conception of family was different than yours, certainly different than mine. And so in Matthew chapter 16, we can see where Peter is listening to Jesus And the Lord says to him, I am going to be betrayed. I'm going to lose my life. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Peter couldn't accept that. He said in verse 22, absolutely not, Lord. This could never happen to you. Of course not. We love you. Our relationships are too strong. But Jesus rebuked him in verse 23 and said, Satan, get behind me. You're an offense to me. You savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. What are the things that be of man? The betrayal, the pain, the crucifixion, the fact that we're going to be separated. We're not going to be together. What are the things of God? The resurrection. You're not even interested in the fact that I have to come up out of the grave in order to redeem people. So Peter heard a mini sermon. And to assure Peter of what he was saying and to drive the truth home, Jesus said to Peter, if any man will come after me, see, let him deny himself and take up the cross. Stop thinking about yourself when I'm telling you I've got to die. See, that's what he's saying. Now, 
If any comes, that means whoever, male or female, boy or girl, they can come and they can follow him. The commitment factors remain the same. There has to be an inward decision made. If any man will come, an inward decision has to be made by the believer to follow after God, to pursue the will of God for his or her life. Nobody can force you to do this. You have to do this. Same way somebody's got to make a decision to follow the Lord from sin into righteousness. When you're in the kingdom of God and the Lord is wrestling with you about doing this, going here, saying that, you have to make an inward decision to do what God has told you to do. That's what happened with Paul. Paul wanted to go one direction. In chapter 16 of Acts, the spirit of God constrained him. He said he went to bed and went to sleep. Had a dream. There's a man from Greece and Macedonia and please come over and help us. Help, please. Paul was so disturbed by that dream when he woke up, he told his, his team members, he said, look, I feel like God wants us to go to Greece. Greece told him the dream. And they had assurance inside of them given by the Holy Ghost to let them know this was the will of God. Assuredly gathering that they should go. If any man will come after me, he says, it's got to be an inward decision. He will come. But then notice he says there in verse 24, he's got to deny himself. You realize the greater impediment in your life that keeps you from pursuing God fully is you. You can't blame family. You can't blame friends. It's you. If you tell me you didn't do this because your family didn't want you to do it, I'm telling you, you didn't do it because you made the decision. You didn't want to do it because family told you, but it was your decision. And if a friend told you not to do it and you didn't do it because of him, it was still your decision. And the believer that walks with God has to be willing to separate themselves from certain things in order to be attached to the will of God. To deny self means your personal wishes must become secondary. There are a whole lot of people there. They're always saying, Lord, I'm willing to do such and such, but please suffer me first to do this. Permit me, oh God, to do this one thing before I come and walk in obedience with you. So to deny oneself means to rid oneself of that whole woe is me pity party mentality. You know, selfishness for some people, they think just means a person who's self-centered and everything has to operate around them and all they do is talk about themselves. But, you know, there are a lot of different ways to describe selfishness and certainly one of them is pity, self-pity. Please feel sorry for me because I feel sorry for myself. Psychologists have developed an entire industry on selfishness and self-pity. Somebody tells you, I feel like you're having some, some struggles and you probably need to talk to a therapist, psychologist or somebody, psychiatrist. You set up the appointment, $275 for a half hour of work, and you show up and they put you on a nice little comfortable chair, might let you sit up, might ask you to lay down. They'll pull up a chair with a notebook and a pencil and a pad, and then they'll say, um, now you, you, you mentioned something like your you weren't able to play on the golf team or the swim team, and you weren't able to, to, tend to do the tennis sport as a teenager because your mom and dad forced you to go to work and get a job and help take care 
of the family. Is that, that correct? Yes, that's, that's exactly what happened. Everybody else was able to do sports. And they had me out there on that John Deere tractor. Well, well how, and you know, the psychologists don't ever have answers. They only have questions. They said, well, how did that make you feel? It made me feel bad. Feel bad. So you go through all of that for a half hour and you soak yourself in pity and in selfishness without realizing that one trip to Calvary could bring deliverance to you. One trip to Calvary. Anybody can sit there and feel sorry for themselves and there'll never be an end to it. But some, at some point, the believer once again has to embrace the cross. Scripture says... If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Put yourself in the background. Put God in the foreground. Talk more about God and his ability and what he sacrificed for you than what you have suffered. That's the key. So the cross will lead you to places that you don't necessarily want to go. And all of them will be places of death. Death to a certain attitude. Death to a certain habit. It leads to death. No matter how long you're Christian, you need to know you can stand on the resurrection as I do, believe in the ascension of Christ as I do, expect the coming of the Lord as I do. But as long as we're on planet Earth, all roads are going to lead to Calvary. Every day of your life, Paul said, I die daily, daily. There's an attitude that God's wrestling with in your life. Something that he's trying to deal with in order to get you from point A to point B and you'll never get there as long as you're dealing with that selfishness. Deny self is what he's saying. That's the key to embracing the cross. You're not ready to take up the cross until self-denial begins. You say, why is that? Well, because you're too self-absorbed. I'm too self-absorbed. We love the word my. We love the possessive nature of it. Mine, my life, my money, my job, my home, my destiny over and over again. And when we think about God trying to do anything for us, it's constantly coming back to myself and me. And you hear people over and over again. They say things like this. They say, once I get my life together, I'm going to serve God. Or you hear Christians say, once I finally get out of debt or do this or do that, then I'll obey the call of God. Do you hear what they're saying? So self-absorbed that they won't even do the will of God. And as long as you allow self to compete with God and win, then you'll never have your hands free to embrace the cross The scripture says, let him take up his cross. There's a cross for you. There's a cross for me. And it's impossible for us to carry the cross as as long as we're embracing the world and its principles. Your hands are too busy. So you've got to be willing to allow God to minister to you in a way that will help you put to death certain deeds of the flesh. Well, how do we do that? Well, think about this. We have to we have to fight against self-interest because we, we very much are interested in ourselves. And that's why at the center of everything we do, we find our decisions 
are usually based upon our own self-interest, but God wasn't like that. He sent his son, his son died on the cross. Well, the believer that walks with God, when he loses his life, he finds his life. But in order to find that life, he has to lose that life. Radio preacher told a story one time I thought was quite interesting. He said after a few of the usual Sunday evening hymns, a church pastor slowly walked up to the pulpit. And he said before he gave the sermon that evening, he he said, look, I've got a friend here, a guest minister. He's one of my one of my dearest childhood friends. This guy said he wanted to give him a few moments to greet the church and share whatever he felt was appropriate for the church. And with that, the elderly man jumped up, stepped to the pulpit and began to tell a story. He said a father, his son and his son's friend were sailing off the Pacific coast. Said a fast approaching storm suddenly came upon them and blocked any attempt to get back to shore. The waves were so high, even though the father was an experienced sailor, he couldn't keep the boat upright. So immediately the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. The old man hesitated in that evening service, looked out there in the congregation, saw two teenage boys who hadn't been too interested, but were interested now listening to the story. And the old minister continued with his story. And he said, grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which of the boys would he throw the other end of the lifeline? He only had seconds to make a decision. The father knew his son was a Christian. He also knew his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision couldn't be matched by the torrent of the waves. And suddenly the father yelled out, son, I love you. And he threw the lifeline to the son's friend. By the time the father pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black of the night. They never recovered his body. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting up in the pew listening. That preacher went on to say, the father knew that his son would enter into eternity with Jesus, but he couldn't bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into eternity without God. And he said, how great is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us? I urge you to reach out and grab hold to the lifeline tonight. Then the old man gave up the pulpit, went and sat down. The pastor got up, preached a short message. After it was over, within minutes of the service, the two teenagers came to the old man's side. They said, that was really a nice story you told, but I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other boy would become Christian. Well, you got a point, the elderly Preacher said, and glancing down at his well-worn Bible, sorrow began to overtake the old man's smiling face as he once again looked up the boys, looked up at the boys and said, it isn't realistic, is it? But I'm here to tell you that I understand more than most the pain that God must have felt to give up his only son. For you see, I'm the man who lost his son to the ocean that day. And my son's friend that I chose to save is your pastor. Think about that. Think about that. If anybody's going to follow me, let him take up that cross. If he loses his life, he'll find it. Well, pastor, how can I take up the cross properly? Well, meditate on the cross. 
you look at Matthew chapter 27, if you've ever really focused on what is stated in that chapter, you can see that in verse number one, there was a conspiracy to kill Jesus. They brought him to Pontius Pilate. The scripture goes on to tell us how Judas, having received a few dollars, he ended up being so broken over everything that happened and angry about what he did. He took his own life. But in verse 11, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him a few questions. Jesus answered. There was false accusations going back and forth. The scripture goes on to tell us in verse 28, they stripped him, put a robe on him spat on him, smacked him, took a rod and beat him across the head with it, forced him to carry the cross to Calvary after they had chastened him, treated him in a very terrible way. You meditate on the cross, you believe that Jesus stood in that particular position in order to bear all of that for you. I can promise you, you think about that enough, you'll realize no matter how much trouble you think you're going through, your trouble is incomparable to what Jesus endured. Yeah. No matter what you complain about, no matter how you murmur, I can promise you, you haven't had to stand in a room full of people with them pummeling you and them spitting on you and them whacking you over the head with some kind of a rod. You've never been stripped bare and naked in front of a bunch of soldiers and men. But yet we complain. Embracing the cross means putting Christ's life before us, placing our self-interest behind his will to be able to say, not my will, but thy will be done. It's being able to practice in moderation the ability to put the flesh in its proper place, knowing that you can never tame it. But yet it has to be crucified, the scripture says. Self-denial is a powerful message and it fills the Bible. Absolutely. And it's messages like these that people used to have to preach four and five nights in a revival just to prepare the way for what God wanted to do in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You had to hammer in on self-denial. Our self-interests are so strong that very often it leads us to sin. Don't ever forget about Adam and Eve. Why were they at that tree? They were at that tree because God said they shouldn't be at that tree. But what was it that drove them to eat the fruit? It was the fact that they knew that if they ate of the fruit, they'd be like God, self-interest. They devoured the fruit. And look at the world that we live in right now, sin being passed from one generation to another, from one human to another, because of the iniquity and the transgression of one couple. Paul goes so far in putting the blame on Adam and said, because one man sinned, all of us have entered into iniquity. But because of Christ, one man, his life, his resurrection, his death, all of that produces in us that believe in him righteousness. And when I look at the world, I don't know what you see, but I see confusion. I see despair. The only hope there is, is Christ, the hope of glory. Years ago, when I Read where in Germany, I I forget which citizen, but but someone wanted to put on the Internet their murder. They did it. Put it on the Internet. The German government came out afterwards and had to make an announcement and said they didn't even have a law against having yourself murdered online. Think about that. In Florida, many, many years ago, 
Some of you will recall the individual that was high on drugs, some guy just all messed up and he was out in traffic, stopped the car, pulled the driver from the car and had the person holding them. And when the police showed up, they shot him several times, barely could even move the person because they were so filled with drugs. And when they got up close, they saw that he was holding that driver captive and like a cannibal eating parts of his face. Kind of world do we live in? Iniquity and sin. Why? Self-interest. Interested in themselves and their own beliefs. You have to ask the question this evening, have you fully embraced the cross? What does that look like for you to put Christ first in your life? For you to allow the Lord to help you put to death the old man with its affections and its lusts. That's where it begins. I'll conclude by telling you this. There's a man named D. Panton who was talking about how all of this stuff operates. And he said, you can take a wild man and put him in a cage. And that wild man doesn't have to have anybody in the room with him. And that wild man will eventually become peaceful and tranquil because there's nothing there to agitate him. He may even slouch down in the corner and just sit there and not make any sound. But if somebody comes and throws open the door and puts a civilized person in there next to him, then pretty soon that man's face will become darkened. His heart will become enraged. He'll begin to snarl and within a few moments hurl himself at the person in that cage with him and begin to bite him, fight him, and attack him. The whole point he was going on to say is that when we're in sin... We're living our life the way we want to live it. But when we come into the kingdom of God, that new creature is born again. And the Bible says begin to put on the new man in Christ. But that old nature, that beast nature has been in control for so long that he begins to fight against everything that God's trying to do in you. And that's why the Bible says we have these lusts that war against one another. You try to figure out what's taking place. Why am I having this turmoil as a Christian? Why am I experiencing all of this inward trouble? It's because that old man and that new man don't get along. You begin to read that Bible. You're renewing your mind with the scripture. But that old beast nature is rising up saying you will not stop that habit. I started that habit in your life and you will not break it as long as I have strength and power. And God's given you a new man to show you how by faith to reckon that old man to be dead, to live for God. That's the battle. Jesus said, take up the cross. What will you do? Will you fill your hands with that cross or will you continue to fill your hands with the things of this world? If you fill it with the things of this world, I can promise you there won't be any room in your life for that cross. So put aside that selfishness. Get rid of that pity and just begin to think about how marvelous Almighty God has been to you. Because we haven't had to die for anyone's sins. Let's stand tonight. When when you think about what God has done in your life and the things that he is doing. It's easy 
to look over your life and say, I wish God would have done this or I wish God would have done that. But rather than speculate about what could have been, why not praise God for what has been? See, Glorify God for the joys and the blessings that he gave you and for the ones that you now possess. When they took Christ off that cross, they put him in a cold grave. But when the power of the Holy Ghost came in and raised him up, he came out totally different. Folks, you serve God. And don't allow that devil to cause you to be pushed down and suppress you. Know that Almighty God is powerful. And you resist the devil with everything that you have because we serve a God that's able to do miracles. Isn't that right? Oh, my goodness. What a mighty God we serve. So, Father, we worship you tonight and we praise you. We thank you this evening because you're wonderful. Thank you for the mighty anointing of your Holy Spirit, God. Thank you for enlightening us and opening our eyes, oh God. You've been so good to us. We love you. We adore you. Help us to crucify self, to put that, that old man on that cross where he needs to be, to reckon him dead by faith. Knowing that your life inside of us is manifest in a wonderful and a powerful way. Oh, God, we love you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're so sweet to 